so before we uh, look into God's Word, we want to just bring a couple things to your attention by way of announcement. Um, the first is that we have a Welcome to Harbor class that we are in the process of scheduling. And so if you're interested in being a part of that, it's a membership seminar. If you want to become a member of our church, you need to do that. But if you just want to find out more about what goes on under the hood here at Harbor, uh, understand our vision, our values a little bit better, you can, um, that's a great class to take. I uh, want you to contact um, Chad, whose information is in the bulletin. And then, uh, again, remind you that on January 25th is the We All Count event, where we're going to have folks who are going to be actually out helping count for the census, the homeless population in San Diego. Um, so if you're interested in being a part of that, you could actually be some of the folks who go out and interview the homeless, um, or you can serve. We're going to, our community room upstairs is going to serve as sort of a base of operations for the event. And so, and there's lots of ways that you can volunteer. So if you're interested, you can contact Jackie Vance. Um, and then uh, if you look on page one, down at the bottom, there's a list of our community groups. Um, we got a big emphasis on what we're doing together as a church. And, uh, and so if you're interested in becoming a part of one of our groups, we'd love for everyone to be in a group. And the, the, the groups are available are there at the bottom of page one. And then finally, also in your bulletin, is a connection card. Just like this. Um, if you're a guest with us, um, thank you for being here. Please fill this out. Uh, we'd love to get a record of you being here. If there's something that we can do to help, um, we'd love to follow up with you. You can fill this out, and you can drop it in uh, one of the offering boxes. There's one here on the stage. There's also one back on the information table. So please do that for us. Let's go to the Lord now and ask him to bring his blessings on our city and on our church, especially as we come to his word. Pray with me. Father, thank you for being our God. Thank you for being our Father, that we can come and spend time in your presence, reminding you of how much we love you, remembering even to ourselves and to each other how much we love you. And God, thank you for the assurance of forgiveness, for reminding us of what you've done for us. Lord, we pray that your blessings would fill San Diego that they would extend beyond San Diego into Tijuana and then even to the ends of the earth. We want to see your renewal, the power of your Holy Spirit filling, filling our city. God, we want to see your love, your grace, your courage and your boldness grow strong here. And we know that we're a part of that. Lord, we know that you call us to be ambassadors, uh, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so as we come, we ask you for strength. Lord, we pray that even now as we worship you, that you would meet our needs, that you would draw close to us. Father, so often we don't live as though the God of the universe is with us. And yet you are. Father, as you draw near, um, as you are bigger and bigger and more important in our lives, the things that are not as important lose, lose their grip on us. We want to serve you, Lord. We want to be a family of people that can show each other and show the world um, what life is like when it's lived with you. And we need your grace. God, we also need your wisdom, and that's why we're coming to your word. Now as we come to the Bible, we pray that you would help us to see you clearly, 
that as we look at the pages of Scripture, um, that we would see you, that we would know you, and that we deepen our relationship with you. Make that so, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to 1 Samuel chapter 20. Uh, if you don't have the Bible, don't have a Bible, the scripture is going to be, um, it's in your bulletin on page 6. There's a place to take notes on page 7. Before we actually read the scripture, though, I want to kind of help you understand what we're doing and why we're looking at this passage. Um, last week, when we looked at the scriptures, we saw that it's not good for us to be alone. Remember that? That's what God said. We weren't created to be alone. We weren't meant to be alone. Um, You weren't meant to be alone. We all need spiritual friendships. We call these discipleship relationships uh, in order for you to grow, in order for you to experience life with God. Are you convinced? Are you convinced that it's not good for you to be alone? If you're not, I need you to listen again to last week's sermon. Because God makes that statement so clearly that it's not good for you to be alone. Now, you might be convinced. You might be convinced it's not good for you to be alone, but it still might not happen in your life. Right? You need discipleship relationships, but there's so many reasons why you still don't have them in your life. Uh, I actually, last week was interesting, I felt convicted while I was preaching. So as I'm preaching about how it's not good for you to be alone, this voice inside of me was saying, Stephen, you know what? You've got some areas of your life where you're alone. I mean, yes, you have people in your life, but there are areas of your life where you don't have someone in them, where you're, you're, you're really alone. And so I brought it up to my community group this last week and told them that my relationships need work. And I began to take action. I began to take steps. Um, So why is it? Why is it that we can be convinced that we need spiritual friendships, that we need to be in discipleship relationships, and yet it doesn't happen? Like, why is that? I know for me, I came up with a list. I want to share it with you here. These are reasons why we stay alone. See if any of these might speak to you. I don't have time to invest in another relationship. Life's really busy, right? I don't have time. For this. Or you know what? I'm afraid to admit my struggles to someone else. I'm going through things and I don't want other people to know. So I'm going to avoid, I'm going to stay alone because I'm afraid to admit what I'm dealing with. Or the flip side, I'm afraid about the other person in the relationship, right? What if someone shares something that I can't fix? Right? What if I get into this relationship and all of a sudden someone tells me something and I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do with this right? Or I can't find the right person. Or I'm afraid I won't be able to help someone else. This happens to me sometimes where I say, okay, well, if I get into this relationship, am I going to be able to like deliver the goods? Like what happens if we get together and they don't think that I've changed their life, right? Are they going to go away thinking, oh man, this thing stinks or I don't want to be with him, right? Okay, then, uh, This is really, I think, kind of pertinent to us here in San Diego. I don't want to invest in someone who's leaving in one to two years. San Diego is a transient city. 
or the flip side, I don't want to invest in someone if I might leave in one to two years. These are just things that actually keep us alone, reasons why we stay alone. Or, I mean, sometimes it's just selfishness. I don't want to sacrifice to love someone else. This is hard. It's difficult, and I just don't want to deal with it. i got enough issues in my life, enough stuff I struggle with. I don't need to add anything to my plate. Um, or the last one. Yeah, this all sounds good. I'm convinced I need this, but I can't start now. It's too late. I'm too old. It'll feel really awkward for me to walk up to someone else or engage someone else in my community group and say, look, I'd really like to go deeper. I can't start that now. Anybody here? I'm all over this. All over this. Um, one way to summarize these things is in three ways. It's time, fear, and inertia. I don't have time, I don't have energy. I'm afraid. Either I'm afraid about what's inside of me or I'm afraid about what's inside of you. <laughs> or inertia, I just can't start this now. Like it's too late for me. I'm not going to start this going at this point in my life. So here's my burden, okay? My burden today is that some of you are convinced that you need to go deeper in relationships, but you're not going to do anything about it. That's my burden. Like, I don't want that to be the case for any of you. My, my burden is that you, you think, oh, yeah, you know what? I come to church, or even I come to church and I go to community group, but I still am alone in my spiritual life. Like, that's my burden. I don't want that to be said about any of you. As your pastor, I don't want you to be alone. And I want you not just to be convinced that you shouldn't be alone, but to take steps so that you're not alone. And so here's what I want you to take away today. You need this friend, right? This person in your life. You need this friend, so be this friend. Okay, you need this friend, so be this friend. But to be this friend, you need this friend. Okay? This is what I want you to take away. You need this friend, so be this friend. But to be this friend, you need this friend. And if you're thinking, wait a minute, hold on, where do I start? Then you're right in the right place. You're exactly where I think Jesus wants us to be. In 1 Samuel 20, we see the power of discipleship relationships. We see the power of what it looks like to have these kinds of friendships. And so before we read it, I want to set the scene. The scene is Israel, okay? It's the nation of Israel, and Saul is the reigning king, and he's actually beginning to lead the nation of Israel away from God. So Saul is king, he's leading the people away from God. Now, there's another guy named David, and God has promised David that he is going to be the next king. Now, Saul finds out about this, Saul is jealous, and Saul wants to kill David, okay? I'm the king, you're the next guy, I'm going to kill you so I can keep being the king. Now, it's interesting because David has this amazing promise, this amazing promise directly from God that he will be king, and he's going to save the nation of Israel and lead them into prosperity, lead them into the fullness of life with God. But, but his life, David's life at this moment is going in the opposite direction. Okay, so he's got this promise that you're going to be the king, but when he looks around, all he sees is that the king is trying to kill him. And he's running. He's on the run. So have you ever felt like this? Have you ever felt like 
wow, I have these amazing promises of God, but when I look at my life, I don't see any of those things coming true. Ever felt that way? Well, that's where David is. And into David's frustration, God sends a gift. God gives David a gift, and this gift gives David assurance. It gives him comfort. It gives him hope. The gift is Jonathan. The gift is Jonathan. So to get through this gap between David having God's promise and it coming true, God gives David the friendship of Jonathan. Oh, and and one more thing. Jonathan is King Saul's son. So you got to, I mean, uh, David's friend is the son of the king who's trying to kill David because David's trying to take his throne. So it's kind of convoluted. So with that, with that, let's look. 1 Samuel chapter 20. It says, Then David fled, and he came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he's well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away so that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut your steadfast love off from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as much as he loved his own soul. So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to, me, come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. For this reason he has not come to the king's table. Well, then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? 
But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David. And David rose and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and they wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. It's a kind of lengthy episode, but you get the flow. You get the flow. What we're going to do is we're going to look at David, Saul, and Jonathan. We'll get the three characters in this, in this scene and understand the power of discipleship relationships. So first, David. He needed this friend. David's in a bad way. Like he really, really needed someone. The king was after him. The king had already once tried to kill him and now is after him again. I mean, this is why verse 1 says, then David fled. He fled. He feared for his life. In verse 3, he says, he's not exaggerating here. There is but a step between me and death. There's a step there, just one step between him and death. And it's interesting because when you think about the reasons why you don't have close spiritual friendships, when you think about the reasons why you're not in discipleship relationships, remember the summary? It's time. It's, what's the second one? It's fear, right? What's the third one? That's right. That's right. And so you've got to think. It's interesting because when emergencies hit, Okay? When life falls apart or an emergency happens, it's amazing because all of a sudden, we're not afraid to ask for help. Right? It's interesting. You know, you might be afraid to ask someone to enter into a discipleship relationship with you. You might be afraid for yourself or afraid for them. But when an emergency hits, the fear of getting help sort of flies out the window. Right? David... David's in fear for his life. I mean, he was being chased by the king. By the king and his men. They're chasing him to kill him. And so David was desperate. And it's interesting that when emergencies hit in our lives, all of a sudden we're not afraid to ask for help. We're not afraid to ask for help. Here's the problem, though. The problem is that if we wait until emergencies hit, we might not have the friend that we need. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, I don't have the time or the energy. Well, when the emergency hits, all of a sudden you do have time. Right? Oh, I'm just, I'm just kind of afraid. I don't want to, you know, I'm just, I'm nervous about this. Well, when the emergency hits, all of a sudden, you know what, you don't care. You just need help. And so you're going to ask. And the problem is, right now, if there was an emergency, do you have a friend you could go to?
the reason David had this friend in Jonathan was because he was this friend to Jonathan. Okay, the reason David could go to Jonathan was because he was a friend to Jonathan. They had a relationship. You need this friend, and so you need to be this friend. But if you want to have a friendship like this, if you want to have people that you can go to in emergencies, then you need to be a friend to people. Okay? David had already made time for this friendship. Okay? He had already been investing in this relationship. Okay? And you can read, if you, if you read just the chapters before this, you can read about their friendship and how it developed and how it grew and the time that David and Jonathan spent together. Okay? David made time. David gave his energy to this relationship with Jonathan. Okay? And you've got to understand, it's not like they had time for this. Okay? Both of these men were military commanders. Okay? Both of them were in heated battles consistently. Both of them had leadership responsibilities. They had people that were underneath them that they were responsible for. You know, Jonathan was the crown prince. Right? He was next in command to his father. David was a member of the royal court before he had to run for his life. They didn't have time for this, just like us. Okay, they didn't have time. And so you need to be convinced that it's not good for you to be alone. Okay, you need to be convinced of that, and then you need to pursue the kinds of relationships that will make you not alone. Okay? If you don't have time... You've got to make time. You've got to make time for this. Uh, it's interesting. I heard one person say, you know what? God gives us enough time to do his will. And so if you're convinced that God doesn't want you to be alone, spiritually speaking, then God's going to give you time. He's going to bless your efforts to set aside time for these kinds of relationships. And you have to do it. You've got to make time now so that when emergencies hit, you have the friend that you need. It's as simple as that. So I want to talk next about Saul. <clears throat> In the midst, it's, it's, it's really interesting. We've got David and Jonathan at the beginning. And then we have David and Jonathan at the end. And in the middle, we get this picture of Saul. We have this picture of Saul, and it really comes to a head in verses 30 and 31. And what we see here, when we see Saul, let me just read it again. It says, he finds out, he asks about David, David's not here. Um, he asks Jonathan, and all of a sudden it dawns on him what's going on. It dawns on him that he knows he's going to be replaced. He knows that David is now next in line. And he realizes in this conversation with Jonathan, that his own son has betrayed him. Betrayed in his perspective, right? I mean, from his perspective. And so in verse 30, Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, don't I know that you've chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? 
nakedness, that's just a way in the Bible that's used to describe just the shame that's brought to a family. Basically saying, like, you have brought shame to yourself and to your whole family. That's what he's saying. And it's interesting because what's happening here, what we see here is that Saul stays alone. Okay? Saul stays alone. Saul is alone with his selfishness. Okay? Saul is blinded by his anger. Saul is stewing in his frustration. And it's interesting because if you read the chapters before, Saul was rejected by God because he wasn't willing to follow God's ways. God said, if you're the king, it's a really important position. I need you to do what I tell you to do. As you act out and you are the king, I need you to act out in ways that will provide the leadership that I need you to provide. And Saul disregarded God. Now, after that, God was angry. God punished Saul. And instead of humbling himself, instead of confessing his sin the way we're supposed to, because that's what you're supposed to do. When God is angry, he doesn't keep his anger forever. His anger, his, his, uh, his confrontation of us is designed for us to confess our sins and come clean. Okay, when we step out of line, God says, repent, confess your sin, and I'll bring you back. But instead, Saul didn't humble himself. He hardened his heart, and his life became darker and darker and darker. And so, and this is what happened. He became more and more alone with his power. He still had the throne. He was still on the throne. And what happened was he began to just squeeze on his power tighter and tighter and tighter. And anybody, I mean, in some ways, you know, Lance Armstrong is a really amazing example of this. Prior to the confession, if you've read anything about the way that Lance Armstrong treated people, um, so despite the, the Livestrong Cancer Foundation, I mean, it's an amazing thing that's happened that's, that's, that's helped a lot of people, but what Lance Armstrong did was he withdrew into himself. He began to lie and he stewed on his lying, and anytime anybody came close to exposing anything, he turned on them. He turned on them, and he made them suffer. He went after people. He sued people, and all to protect his lie, all to protect his power, his reputation, his every... I mean, he's this amazing picture of Saul. Saul doesn't want to hear anything from anybody except that he's the king, and it's going to be that way. And so if anybody is going to cross him, Saul is going to make him pay. Saul is going to make them pay. His ambition drove him to blind. I mean, this is what happens to us when we stay alone, okay? This is what happens to you, right? When you don't let people in, you become more and more selfish, more and more inward focused, more and more afraid that somebody may end up finding out what's going on inside of you. And so you'll, you begin to do things when any time like that, you, you begin to feel someone getting close, you start lashing out, right? Sometimes you get angry. Sometimes you just sort of shut off, right? This is what happens when you stay alone and you end up, whether you are demonstrative in your anger or in your selfishness and you lash out at people or if you withdraw into yourself, like, this is a picture. Saul is a picture of what we become. Of what we become 
when we stay alone, when we don't let people in. I mean, if only Saul could have softened his heart, if only Saul could have been convinced, it's not good for me to be alone. If only Saul could have been convinced, you know what, I need people in my life that aren't just going to tell me what I want to hear. And that's the worst thing that could happen to anybody in power. Anybody who's in leadership. If you have authority, then the worst thing you can do is surround yourself with yes men, yes women. People that will never ever tell you something. They'll never give you the truth. Because then you end up like the emperor's new clothes. You're you're walking around naked. The emperor's new clothes, right? You think that you're the greatest. You think that everything's fine. And no one's telling you because they're all afraid. Or no one's telling you because you don't want to hear it. And they've tried and they've gone there and you just, they don't want to go there, you know, they want to go there again. And Saul is this amazing picture of why I don't want any of you to stay alone. Because this is where it leads. This is where it leads. I mean, I'm just thinking, I mean, so Lance Armstrong, the Gollum from the Lord of the Rings. Right? For 500 years, he was alone with the ring, and it poisoned his mind until he was just so completely irrationally dependent, so completely inward focused that he thought of nothing but the ring to the point that he literally, like, I mean, killed himself over it. So, friends, this is what happens. We need discipleship relationships to keep us open to input from the outside. To keep us open. If someone has come in the last month and said to you something that's made you uncomfortable, then you should rejoice that God has put someone in your life who's willing to tell you something that's uncomfortable. You want to foster that. You want to encourage the people around you to be honest. I think even that that's one of the main ways that God speaks to us. Talks to us through each other. So you think about time and you think, I don't have time. Well, I think Saul teaches us that you don't have time to waste between now and you getting into a discipleship relationship. I'm afraid. Well, I think you need to be more afraid of being alone. More afraid of being alone. And I got to tell you, there have been times in my life where I've been afraid. Um, I mean, so I can tell you one that's just coming to mind right now. I remember listening to a sermon on the Beatitudes, and it was, Blessed are, the, are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I remember listening to this sermon. It was, a, it was a tape that I listened to. And this pastor talked about what it meant to mourn and how, Jesus is talking about mourning over your sin, and and mourning in the Bible is this time where you're like emotionally, like just distraught over how fallen you are and over the sin that you've committed. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, I've never mourned like that. Like I've confessed my sins, but I've never cried over the fact that I'm a sinner. And I started thinking, wait a minute, if I've never mourned, then I'm not blessed like Jesus says. So maybe I'm not a Christian. And I kind of did this. Have you ever done this? This whole spiral thing in your head where you start thinking and all of a sudden you're like, I don't even think I know Jesus anymore. I was really struggling. 
Like, I really didn't know which way was up, spiritually speaking. And I was afraid to tell anybody because I was seen as a leader. You know, I was seen as someone who knew the Bible. Like, I knew answers to all these kinds of things. So I can't tell somebody else I'm struggling with this. And then finally, I was so afraid for my spiritual condition that I finally confessed to this friend of mine, this close friend of mine. And I just told him, I said, you know, I'm really struggling because Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, and I've never cried over my sin. And he looked at me and he said, I've never cried over my sin either. And the walls of my doubt just came crumbling down. Because I knew he was a Christian. You know, I didn't, like, put that doubt on him. Of course, you know, I could think about that and be like, oh, neither one of us are now. And, but, but no, no, what the Lord did with that, like, what the Lord did with that was he completely destroyed that whole, it was really an attack of the enemy. Satan was, was, going, was trying to misinterpret the scriptures. He was trying to get me to believe a lie. And I was living in it until I opened up. Until I opened up. Once I opened up, it all just came crumbling down. And I realized, oh my goodness, God, you are my God. I am your son. And like all of my joy, it was like the joy of my salvation was returned to me. And so, man, you might be afraid, but you need to be more afraid of being alone. More afraid of being alone. And then with inertia, if you think, man, I can't start this now, well, I just got to tell you, look, tomorrow it's going to be harder. Next week it's going to be even harder. Next month it's going to be harder. Every, every moment that you wait before you commit to doing something about getting into a discipleship relationship, it's going to make it that much harder. Okay? And so don't let the inertia thing stop you, or you are on the road to becoming like Saul. So that's David, that's Jonathan, or that's, that's Saul. Let's look at uh, Jonathan. David needed this friend. Saul stayed alone, didn't have this friend. Jonathan, he was this friend. Jonathan was this friend. This is an amazing picture of Jonathan. This puts Jonathan, this is like, man, Hall of Fame highlight reel. If you watch ESPN, you know, they show you the highlights. I mean, this is an incredible highlight reel of Jonathan. Because Jonathan could have killed David. I mean, anybody else would have killed David. I mean, Jonathan was next in line, right? This friend was the one who stood in the way of him being on the throne, right? Back then, there was no better place than to be the crown prince unless you were the king, right? And so Jonathan, man, Jonathan took his ambition, Jonathan took his aspirations. Jonathan took all of his dreams to be the king, and he crucified them. He sacrificed his own ambitions. He sacrificed his commitments. He sacrificed his goals and his dreams. Anything related to him being the king, he sacrificed that for David. He also conquered his fear. Conquered his fear, I mean, in a couple of ways. We see him going up against his dad, right? I mean, the fear of doing that. I mean, even grown men fear going against their father sometimes. But this is the father, the king, right? Who's thrown a spear at David, who's trying to kill David, 
right, and tries to kill his own son, right? And yet Jonathan conquered his fear, conquered his fear because he was this kind of friend. He didn't let his fear get to him. And what's interesting, too, is that Jonathan is stepping out and conquering his fear even of David. Because, again, in the ancient Near East, when a new king came on the throne, what was the first thing the new king did? Kills all his rivals. That's right. Anybody else who's got a claim of the throne, get rid of them. We don't want anybody to have any questions. No ballot checking, no chads, no dimples. No, I mean, we're not checking anything, right? Leaving no room for doubt that the new king is going to reign. And so in some ways, Jonathan is putting himself out, right? Conquering his fear and throwing himself on the mercy of David. And so it's, it's really interesting. They are both, both Jonathan and David, they're being vulnerable to each other. I mean, David comes to the son of the king who's trying to kill him, throwing himself at, da- at Jonathan's mercy. And then Jonathan does exactly the same thing. I mean, it's interesting because Jonathan knows he's doing this. If you look, he says, um, uh, he says, remember, oh yeah, 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 verse 15. He says, do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. See that in verse 15? And so Jonathan knows that Saul has become an enemy of David. And Saul, Jonathan knows he's part of David, Saul's house, right? And so he's saying, David, you need to have mercy on me when you get to the throne. And so Jonathan breaks with father, family, and his future because Jonathan was committed to this relationship. He overcame his fear. He overcame all these obstacles. And it's amazing because the last thing that Jonathan says in verse 42, Jonathan said to David, he says, go, go in peace. Go in peace. One commentator said, these words are almost laughable from one perspective. Because he looked, what is Jonathan saying to David? David, who is, he's running for his life. Saul's trying to kill him. Saul's come close already. And Jonathan says, go in peace. Go in peace. Yeah, think what Jonathan's doing. He's not claiming that everything is peaceful for David or that David's not going to meet danger. But Jonathan is saying, you can go in peace because we are at peace. And you need to know that our friendship will never fail. I am not ever going to leave you or forsake you. I will never turn on you. You will have a, you, you will have a friend in the house of the king. I think Jonathan's commitment actually gives David the freedom to run away. Because David's got this promise, right, from God that he's going to be the king, and yet he's not. The king wants to kill him. And so David's torn because he could run away, but if he runs away, is he going to sacrifice the promise of God? And yet Jonathan's telling him, look, you're the king. It's going to be you. You don't have to worry about me. And it gives David the freedom. Jonathan's going to hold down the fort while David's gone. And so I think for us, 
peace doesn't mean to be in a place where there's no noise, no trouble, or hard work. Peace means to be in the midst of those things and to still be calm in your soul. And you can have this peace. You can have this peace. And it's interesting because oftentimes, I mean, tell me if you haven't experienced this, where you don't have peace, but then you sit down with a friend and the peace is there. They share a scripture with you. They pray for you. They give you some advice, right? You've been in those situations and all of a sudden your circumstances didn't change, but you did. But you did because God has drawn near to you. And this is why we desperately need these kinds of friendships, why it's not good for us to be alone. This is why we need to conquer the reasons why we stay alone. It's so that we can have this kind of peace. So for us as a church, we want to provide an environment for you where you can have these kinds of relationships. Okay? I want you to pursue these, but I know it's hard, and we want to do, we want programming in our church, we want the ministry of our church to enable you to have these kinds of friendships. And so we want you to be these kinds of friends. We want to train you to be these friends so that you can have these friends. Okay? Now, some of you have had this experience before. Some of you have been cared for in this way. You've had a friend like this, right, in your life. Someone, I mean, it's funny, if you listen to anybody who has any amount of maturity in their life, part of their story is, oh yeah, and then somebody prayed with me. Oh yeah, and then I started meeting with this person. Oh yeah, and then this person taught me this. Oh yeah, and then this person was helping me in this way or taught me how to do this, right? I mean, it's, it's just, it's the story of every person who's growing closer to God in their lives. Now, if you've never had this, if you've never had this kind of experience where someone has been for you uh, a spiritual influence, someone's discipled you, then first and foremost, you know who's in line? You know who's in the front of the line to do this for you? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. First and foremost, it's not only Jesus. There's a line. <laughs> but at the front of the line is Jesus. Because Jesus also gave up his throne in order to come to earth to live for you. Okay, Jesus, like Jonathan, Jonathan who had to endure the anger and the wrath of King Saul, Jesus had to endure the wrath of God against your sin on the cross. But Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead so that you would know that he died and forgave your sins. So that you could know him closer than a brother. Closer than a sister. So God, first and foremost, Jesus wants to give you peace. And then we want our small groups, right? We want our small groups to be places where you can find these kinds of discipleship relationships. Where these friendships can be, can be fostered. And so right now, we are training leaders, okay, not to be these perfect friends for you, but we're training leaders to be in these groups to help point you and guide you to be these friends to one another, okay? And we're launching new groups. Right now, we have community groups. We're going to relaunch them as something different and new the week of February 10th, okay? So the Sunday after the Super Bowl, we're going to have our own Super Bowl party here, 
Um, no, we're going to be launching these new groups, and we want you to be in one. We want you to be in one so that you can say yes uh, to what God has for you. I mean, this is a chance for you to overcome your fear, to overcome the inertia, to overcome the time. We're going to ask you to join up with us. I mean, it's just like Genesis 12, when God says, Abram, I want you to go to a place I'll show you. We're going to ask you to step out and to go where God is leading us, leading us deeper into discipleship. And if you don't want to wait till the week of the tent, you can join a community group right now. You can get started. You can get started. But this is where God's leading us, and I hope you're willing to say yes. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for showing us this, this picture of Jonathan and David, the love they have for each other. Thank you, God, for keeping us really clearly aware of the damage that happens to us when we don't pursue these kinds of relationships. Help us to overcome our fear. Help us to overcome the time. Help us to make the time for these things, Lord, because if they're your will for us, then you'll give us the time. You'll bless our efforts to make the time. That's our hope. That's our hope, Lord. Our hope is that we would enter into relationships where you have so met our needs that we can be these kinds of friends to others. Our hope is that as we do that, as we love others, we would receive your love in return. And so make this happen for us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.